reading from the book of Genesis. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot, and they called out before him, Bow the knee. Thus he set him on all over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without you, your consent, no one shall lift up a hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zephanath Paniah, and he gave him in marriage Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, a priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly, and he gathered all the food of these seven years, which occurred in the land of Egypt, and put the food in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance, like the sand of the sea, until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured." Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph, Asenath, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On, bore them to him, bore, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction." The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph, what he says to you to do. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain, because the famine was severe over all the earth. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning. My name is Paul. I'm the senior pastor here. If you're visiting, again, welcome. On behalf of our community of faith, before we dive into this latest chapter on the life of Joseph, would you bow your heads with me as I share another brief word of prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And in the oldest prayer of the church, we pray, come, Holy Spirit, come in Jesus' name, amen. Friends, have you ever seen someone reach the top of life only to see them fall once they get there? This could be in sports, work, 
a person's faith walk, or perhaps even in their personal walk. Let me ask this to everyone again. Have you ever seen someone reach the top only to see them fall once they get there? This past week, a crazy story unfolded in China, in the Olympics. Actually, several crazy stories unfolded this week in China at the Olympics. We're only going to focus on one, and it's around the greatest Nordic skier in the world, a guy named Jarl Magnus Reber. In a story titled, quote, he was going to win Olympic gold, then he skied the wrong way. Journalist Ben Cohen and Joshua Robinson of the Wall Street Journal reported the following. The only thing you need to know about Jarl Magnus Reber to understand what happened to him on Tuesday, February 15th, is that when it comes to the sport of Nordic combined skiing, there is Jarl Magnus Reber and everybody else. Quote, he's probably going to go down as the best Nordic combined skier ever, NBC analyst Johnny Spillane said before the Winter Games. If he has a good day, he's pretty much unstoppable. Well, then the article takes an unexpected turn and continues. He, Reber, hasn't had many good days here. After testing positive for COVID-19 upon his arrival, the Norwegian spent his games alone in a Chinese hotel. He missed his first event in every single training session. He finally cleared isolation on Monday, that's last Monday, in time to jump over 140 meters in the air and then cross-country ski for 10 kilometers on Tuesday. Reber said after his huge jump, I didn't feel so good yesterday, but I'm feeling good today, he said early Tuesday. Well, he wouldn't be having a good day much longer for what happened next was a gaffe that will go down in Nordic combine lore. As he entered the first of four 2.5 kilometer, uh, excuse me, loops of the unfamiliar course at the Olympics with a sizable advantage, Reber came to a fork in the course. To the left was the cross-country circuit. To the right was the path to the finish line. Now, Reber, who hadn't had a chance to practice on the Olympic track, sped toward the snow-covered lanes, separated only by small cones and a small sign, and he picked the lane on the right. And he picked wrong. What a mistake, shouted the announcers on one of the European broadcasts. Has the cold paralyzed his mind, they exclaimed. And with the world watching, Reber traveled around 50 yards before realizing his blunder and turned around. He needed to ski back to the fork and slot back into the correct lane, but friends, the damage was done. He had frittered away his lead and finished in eighth place. Cohen and Robinson, the writers of the journal article, would go on to make this assessment about the world champion Reber. 
As it turned out, the problem was not his legs or his lungs. It was his concentration. And just like that, in the biggest moment of his life, the world's best Nordic skier, Jarl Magnus Reber, failed miserably, losing his place at the top by losing his concentration and taking the wrong path. Oh, what a warning for all of us. When somehow we think we've made it to the top and made it to the finest in life only to find ourselves stumbling and falling and taking the wrong path once we get there. Friends, reflect on this with me. Might it be hardest to live well, not when we're at the bottom of life, but actually when we're near the top? When our need for humility and help, they seem to wane. And why? Well, we've got everything we want or everything the world says we should want. Might the top of life be the hardest place to live and be and be faithful? If we look around us at all the temptations and pressures around the top, pressures around money, power, and fame, we might honestly say, yeah, hard at the top, especially for us, this Charleston audience. Turning our attention to Joseph, what excites me about our passage today is that it is possible. It is possible to reach the pinnacle of one's life and stay faithful. We'll see this in the life of Joseph. It's possible to trust God not only with our bleakest days, but our brightest days, and understand that no matter where we find ourselves, God is still in control. God still sits on his throne. It's possible to understand that even at the top of life, God still not only loves us, listen, but he still, even at the top, wants to use us. Use us for more. Use us to advance his eternal purposes. This leads us to our big idea from Genesis 41 today. Be it in a pit or a palace, God positions his people, Chris, you and me, to carry out his promises. We're going to unpack this through two points. Point one, no matter your position, hold to God's promises. And point two, when given the opportunity, act. Act on God's promises. Let's dive in. Our passage begins, this proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there's none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. So as we like to say here at One Fellowship, there's no text without a context, so let's unpack what we're seeing here. We read that this proposal pleased Pharaoh, so we need to ask, what proposal? Well, as a summary, at the heart of our story is a young guy named Joseph. Up to this point in Joseph's life, Joseph's days have been littered with hardship and mystery. Here's how. First, in Genesis 37, we read Joseph was the favored son of Jacob in the line of the patriarch Abraham. Thus, he was beloved, 
Furthermore, we read in that same chapter that God had given Joseph two dreams that one day he would rule over his family and his brothers. Now, unfortunately for this young fella, be it through arrogance or ignorance, he chose to share those dreams with his brothers, and that did not bless them. So in an act of rage and disgust, in fact, they responded to Joseph by throwing him in a pit and selling him into slavery. This is never good in the life of a family, right? Yet next we read in Genesis 39 that Joseph ended up in Egypt and did quite well, be it as a slave. Much was put under Joseph's care. And yet once again, Joseph faced hardship, this time being falsely accused by his master's wife of a great impropriety. And consequently, what happened? Joseph was yet again thrown into another pit or prison and stayed there for several years. We're meant to see how hard and awful this was. And yet mysteriously through all of this, we read in scripture that the Lord was with Joseph, showing him kindness and favor. In fact, even in prison, young Joseph did well. First, the young man was placed over all of the prison, its operations, by the captain of the prison itself. And next, we read that Joseph was invited to interpret the dreams of two of Pharaoh's right-hand guys. And things were looking up for Joseph, right? Was he immediately then rewarded? He was not. Scripture says he was forgotten. So again, Joseph's life was littered with hardship and mystery. Joseph's journey, listen, here's what a faith journey often looks like. Joseph's journey was like this. He was favored. He was cast out. He was trusted. He was cast down. He was sought after. And then he was quickly forgotten. This up and down all around is what faith and walking by faith often looks like. Friends, do we have any here that like roller coasters? Any? More in the 11 than in the 9. More in the Take note, everybody. I'll never forget the first time I took our kids to Animal Kingdom into the ride Expedition Everest. Now, if my memory's correct, it starts in a rather fun way with some twists and turns, and you're like, oh, this... This is fun. This is cool. Then there's a section where you fly up the side of Mount Everest and you think you're going to launch off this fake but huge cliff way up in the sky and it, it takes your breath away. Next, you're suspended vertically for a few seconds and out of nowhere, you free fall backwards. And in that free fall, you might scream something like, Mama, help me! But there's no mama to be found. And you're terrified. And then just when the ride seems to be ending, what happens? There's a Yeti and he's going to kill you. And it takes your breath away again. And that's it. It's done. And it's oh so much to take in. Here are two pictures from 2013 of our middle son, Blaze. Now notice he's with his cousin Will at the time and he already has one eye shut. Now to the next picture. Through this very grainy picture, Blaze and me are coming down, Blaze and I are coming down the mountain. 
My hands were raised. Blaze's hands were holding on for dear life, and both of his eyes were shut. Now, given how scared Blaze was the first time he went, you would have thought he never would have wanted to go on Everest again, right? In fact, the first time I took Blaze, I had to reassure him over and over again that I'd be right by his side. So we went, as I already described, it was terrifying, especially for the old guy and me, and it ended, but guess what? Blaze then wanted to go again and again and again, and I think he went a total of 10 times. I share this story because living by faith is more like riding a roller coaster than a walk in the park. In faith, there are these twists and these turns and these terrifying moments, and we might think, is this it? I'll never make it through this day. But you know what? God promises to be with us every step of the way, every single day. And that promise, friends, changes everything. His presence changes everything. It changed everything for Joseph. Now, this takes us back to our passage, Genesis 41. Here in our story today, there's twists and turns, and through all the hardship and mystery, we somehow see Joseph... Joseph the slave, Joseph the prisoner, Joseph the forgotten son somehow finds himself standing in front of Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, and he's invited to interpret yet another set of dreams, this time Pharaoh's dreams. Oh, how God likes to take history and turn it upside down and place his faithful at critical forks in the road. And so what did Joseph do in this unexpected moment? Well, as shared by Pastor Cody last week, displaying a courage that defied his lowly position, Joseph pointed everyone and everything back to God. Let me repeat that. Displaying a courage that defied his very lowly position, Joseph stood and pointed everyone in everything back to God. In layman's terms, Joseph basically looked Pharaoh in the eyes and said, you need God. Egypt needs God. Disaster and famine are coming to this place. Genesis 41 verses 15 and 16 read, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, no one can interpret it. But I've heard it said of you that you hear a dream and you can interpret it. I cannot, Joseph replied, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. And then we read in verse 25, Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. So Joseph stood and in courage spoke in faith. We pull back and you say, wow, that that was incredible. Somehow through all the twists and turns, Joseph had held on to his faith. Friends, he held on to God's promises. How, we may ask, did God's promises root so deeply? Well, parents, 
And everyone here, listen. I am certain that Joseph had been told the promises of God by his father Jacob when he was younger. How God had promised to bless their family through the covenant of God through his grandfather Abraham. How they were to be blessed, to be a blessing to the whole world. And I'm sure Jacob had shared his own faith story as a dad and as a man with his son, Joseph, including this promise we see in Genesis 28. Listen, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. You will spread out to the west, to the east, north, south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you. Wherever you go, I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I've done what I've promised you, God said. So all of this, by the way, is why it's so important for us parents and grandparents to intentionally pass on our faith to our sons and daughters, grandsons and our granddaughters, listen, both biological and spiritual, Like a river, the promises of God are always meant to flow to the next generation. You see that? And looking even closer at Joseph's faith, it's clear Joseph continued to cling to his own personal relationship with God and the dreams God had given him directly in his youth. He didn't just rely on his granddad's faith or his father's faith. He relied on his own faith. How do we know this? Well, just look at his sheer confidence that he exhibits before Pharaoh. Joseph knew God was with him. The bottom line is no matter his position, Joseph held on to the promises of God. Let's bring this to the room for you today. Through life's twists and turns and terrifying moments, friends, do you cling to God or do you run to the arms of someone else? Do you run into the arms of something else? Listen, it can even be a a good thing. Listen, it can even be a good thing, like a spouse, a friend, or a hobby, but that good thing is not the ultimate thing. This is what you need, which is God's love. Friends, as we look at Genesis 41, we're invited to let Joseph's example lift our eyes and our hearts above our misguided or faulty affections, or as social scientists say, attachments, and bring them back to the Lord. When the Lord says, Dan, in Deuteronomy 31, be strong and courageous, do not be afraid or terrified, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He means it. He means it. Such is why it's repeated, this promise of his presence over and over and over again in Scripture. For instance, it's also seen in the book of Hebrews 13, verse 5. This is a lasting promise, not just to Joseph, but to you and me, Dee Dee. God promises to be with, with us. Friends, when you face that difficult decision in life, know this, God will not leave you nor forsake you. When you lose that dear friend or loved one, God will not leave you nor forsake you. When you feel abandoned or betrayed, God will not leave you nor forsake you. 
Katie, when you are left waiting and wanting day after day, year after year, God will not leave you nor forsake you. The Lord always makes good on his promises and never leaves or forsakes his kids. Point one, no matter your position, hold to God's promises. And point two, when given the opportunity, act. Act on God's promises. Now to summarize Genesis, the first half of Genesis 41, Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dreams and encourages him to save 20% of Egypt's crops over the next seven years. For following those seven years, there's going to be seven years of famine. So how does Pharaoh respond? Well, Pharaoh not only accepts Joseph's advice, he promotes the young gun. As theologians like to say, just like that, Joseph ascends from the pit to the palace. And it's oh so wild. In history, we see starts to turn. Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. When then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand, put it on Joseph's hand, clothed him in garments of fine linen, put a gold chain about his neck, and made him ride in his second chariot. And listen to the irony here. And they called out before him, bow the knee. Thus he set him over all of Egypt. Isn't it interesting to see the truth when we are faithful with the little things, God will trust us with the bigger things? Isn't it interesting to see that play out right here in Joseph's life? Joseph, no matter his position, had proven to be faithful. In Potiphar's house, he didn't mope or sulk. He served and was faithful. In prison, Joseph didn't get lost in self-pity. He obeyed and was faithful. When given the opportunity to help the cupbearer and the chief baker, he served them and was faithful. And when brought before Pharaoh, he didn't bow up or back down. He was faithful. Joseph was faithful in the smallest of ways before being entrusted in the biggest of ways. Do you see that? Friends, that's how faith works. Listen. Faith must grow small before it can grow big. Your faith must grow small before it can grow big. Elaborating on this point, theologian Alan Ross writes, Joseph's faith could not be destroyed by the circumstances, which was exactly what God was looking for in a leader. Joseph had been stolen from his land and wrongly imprisoned, but when the opportunity arose for him to exercise his faith in God, he did. He was able to discern the interpretations of dreams correctly. His faith was confirmed. Now he was ready for greatness in public. God tests his people's faith in the promises before he entrusts them to positions of greater responsibilities. Those who are convinced that God desires to use them in greater capacities will demonstrate their unwavering faith in the midst of discouraging situations. And so what happens to Joseph when he gets to the top, when he becomes the second most important person in Egypt and in the whole world? Does he take a huge vacation, buy lots of properties, kick up his feet, put his hands behind his neck and say, I'm just going to live the good life? No, he does not. After being established in his post, Joseph acts. Joseph acts. He leads 
He goes about leading with integrity and excellence, not only on behalf of Pharaoh, but on behalf of God. Verse 46, Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years the earth produced abundantly, he gathered up all the food of these seven years. He was everywhere, which occurred in the land of Egypt. And he put them in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance, like the sand of the sea, until it ceased to measure it for it could not be measured. What I especially love about this story is thinking about how Joseph learned to lead. How did he learn to manage? Think about his story. Did he learn to manage through the good times or the bad? Through the bad, through the hard times. When he was in Potiphar's house as a slave, he was still trusted as a slave to manage that house. When he was in prison as a prisoner, he was still trusted and he learned to manage that prison. Nothing was wasted. Nothing was random. And God had used these hard times to develop Joseph for future times. And turning back to our passage, to the very end of our passes, Joseph's future and the future times were now. God, you see, had positioned Joseph through all the twists and turns and terrifying moments to not only rescue Egypt, but to rescue the whole world. The whole world, God had positioned Joseph to act, to act, to lead, and to lead so generously from the top. All the earth came to Egypt, we read in verse 57, to Joseph to buy grain because the severe famine was throughout the whole earth. And just like that, we see the promise of Abraham erupt like a volcano through the life of Joseph in history turns through this young man. What I really love about this story is Joseph actually saw it. He saw it unfolding and he believed it was no accident he had risen to the top. We'll uncover this in the coming weeks, but Joseph saw that he was given this new position, this new privilege, this new power, not to advance his own agenda, but God's agenda. You will be a blessing to be a blessing, he heard as a boy. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. His father whispered to him in the night, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. God promised Joseph and his family. From the pit to the palace, friends, we must hold on to and act on the promises of God. God is sovereign. God is faithful and God is true. I'd like to close with one last story. This comes from a book called Preaching the Word and centers around a gentleman named Robert Dick Wilson. Robert Dick Wilson was one of the great professors at Princeton Theological Seminary. One of his students had been invited to preach in Miller Chapter 12 years after his graduation. And old Dr. Wilson came in and sat down near the front. At the close of the meeting, the old professor came up to his former student, cocked his head to his one side and his unique characteristic of a way and extended his hand. And he said, if you come back again, I will not come to hear you preach. I only come once. And I'm glad that you are a big godder. 
When my boys come back, I come to see if they are big godders or little godders, and then I know what their ministry will be like. His former student asked him to explain, and Dr. Wilson went on, well, some men have a little god. They're always in trouble with him or without him. He can't do any miracles. He can't take care of the inspiration and transmission of the scripture to us. He does not intervene on behalf of his people. They have a little God, and I call them little godders. Then there are those who have a great God. He speaks, and it is done. He commands, and it stands fast. He knows how to show himself strong on behalf of those who fear him. You have a great God, and he will bless your ministry and bless your life. And he paused, he smiled, and he turned and left and said, God bless you. Friends, are you a little godder or a big godder today? Do you believe, be it in the pit or the palace, God's promises hold true. Is God with us or not? Dom, is God with you or not? Can God use whatever your position in life, be it in the home, the marketplace, or some other place, to effect change or not? To effect change that might impact the whole world or not? Can God, through his wonderful providence, move you to a position of power and privilege, maybe you're already there, to carry out his promises and provide for his church, his family, and his mission moving forward or not? Will your life be known for personal integrity no matter your position and radical generosity or not? Will you leave here today holding on to and acting on the promises of God given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and fulfilled in Jesus with these words or not. Jesus said in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely, listen, surely, Jesus says, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Be it in a pit or a palace, God positions his people, you and me, Ford, you and me, Sarah, you and me, Beckett, to carry out his promises. Just like Joseph, let's hold on and let's act on the promises of God. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this story. Be it from the pit or the palace, we thank you for positioning us and being sovereign over us. God, may we cling to you above everything and everyone, no matter our age, no matter our circumstance, trusting you with the now and the not yet. We pray for our good and your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.